Welcome to the New Providence Presbyterian Church podcast, where we will share our messages from our weekend worship services. We hope these messages will inspire you and challenge you in your walk with Jesus. Breaking news. Never gets old. That word, those two words get our attention. I mean, I saw a bunch of your heads look up right away. So something that happens to us when you hear those two words, whether it comes across on our phone, whether it's on the TV, maybe we're out and about, maybe on the radio, someplace when you hear breaking news, you pay, typically we pay attention, I know I do. And the question is, why? What's going on? What happened? Why is this significant? How does it impact me? How does it impact the world? Those two words get our attention. And so we've been looking at the gospel of Mark and Jesus' life through that lens in the last couple months. The breaking news of God, the breaking good news of God that's come through Jesus. Because he broke in. And when he break, his news, when he breaks into our lives, our lives don't remain the same. They can and should be changed when we let him break into our lives. And so that's what we've been doing. We've been going through the, one of the four accounts of Jesus' life his ministry and his teachings. It's the gospel of Mark. We've been going through all the different accounts and looking at the accounts like news stories and considering what it, what, who's involved. Why is that important? Why is it significant? And it begins with the headline in Mark chapter one, verse one. And the, the good news of Jesus Christ, the, the good news of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. That's the headline. As you look at the Gospel of Mark, that's the headline. That's where we begin. And as we consider that today, we're gonna consider that as Jesus, um, who he is, again, we get those words at the beginning in verse one. Verse one is it's Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. We get that right away. And then we track with the disciples. We've been going through the first seven chapters. And we've been watching them as they're considering who is Jesus? Who is this guy? What's he all about? We've been looking at his, at his teachings. We've been looking at his healings. We've been looking at miraculous moments. And underneath all these encounters is the question, who is Jesus? Well, today we come to a turning point in the gospel, in this journey. And it's a turning point because Jesus asks them some interesting and difficult questions. And he brings with that difficult news. Today, the news story is the turning point in the journey with Jesus. And we're gonna see here how the breaking news has a breakthrough. And at this point, the disciples have been traveling with Jesus. They've been wondering and, and, and they've been eyewitnesses of him. But it takes it to another level today. And by the time we're done with the sermon, we're going to consider the fact that Jesus invites us to follow him on the way of discipleship in order to become like him. If you remember anything from today's sermon, remember that Jesus invites us to follow him on the way of discipleship in order to become like him. So let's pick up the action today as we have this encounter with Jesus. We're going to look at verse, chapter 8, verses 27 through 38. We're going to take it in different sections as we look at what happens with Jesus today. Starting in verse 27, we read this. Jesus and his disciples went onto the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others say one of the prophets. But what about you? Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. So here we pick up the action today. Jesus and his disciples it said went out. A better way to describe it is they set out. This is a, this is a deliberate action. 
And where are they going? They're going to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. Why is that significant? Bible commentator Mark Edwards paints the picture wonderfully in his commentary. This this area was located about 25 miles north of the the city of Bethsaida. We've encountered that place a couple times on the journey in, in these past weeks. So it's 25 miles, about a day's walk away, meaning Jesus took them off the grid. He took them away from Bethsaida. This was intentional. And he took them, and they says they were on the way. They were on the way to Caesarea Philippi. It was a full day's walk. It was clearly out of the way. And this was located at the, at the base of Mount Hermon. This is near Syria. And this was an area that, uh, that was refurbished by Philip uh, years ago. And it was in honor of Caesar Augustus, right, the one who ruled the Roman Empire for 57 years. This population, the area was mostly non-Jewish. So this would have been a, a, a strange area for them. And it was actually a painful location. It was painful because the Jewish people had suffered numerous defeats in this area. This was kind of an embarrassing place for them, a place of hurt and pain in terms of their history. It was also marked by paganism and the worship of many gods, one in particular named Pan, who was half goat and half man. Figure that out. And this, this, this deity, this fertility god that people worshiped with the goal of, of having rain and crops and really a good economy. And so it wasn't that just Pan, it was all types of gods. So this is a pantheistic, this was a place where people were open spiritually and they would have been asking, who is God? And they were coming up with different kinds of answers. Here we see that Mark records that they're on the way, on the way. This is an important description. It's used nine times in Mark in chapters eight through 12 as, as the disciples are now on the way. It's a picture of a life with Jesus. It's a journey. And they're on the way. And they're on the way, he begins to ask them questions. Which is interesting because the Jewish people at that time, it was typically the students who asked the rabbi questions, not the other way around. We see once again that Jesus turns things upside down. He reverses things. Instead of the students asking the teacher questions, here the rabbi asks them questions. And he asks them the initial question, who do people say I am? Who do people say I am? Interesting question. Typically, we ask, what do you do? Not what you are. Here we see an interview on the path. And then we see some poll results. If we took a poll, which, you know, if I go back in time, this would be an example graph of the potential outcome. These aren't scientifically proven numbers. Um, But it's been said by some that 95% of people believe any statistic, including that one. And so, therefore, we're going to give you some statistics here. If we went out and did some polling at that time, perhaps, right, as we read, the disciples respond, some say Elijah. Some say John the Baptist. Some still say one of the prophets. So it could have been 38% of the people if they went and polled and asked people, said Jesus was Elijah. Or maybe John the Baptist. Or maybe one of the prophets, going with the major ones, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel. Some of the lesser-known ones would fall into the 11%, the other prophets. Lesser-known, the Malachi's, the Obadiah's, Haggai's. They don't get as much airplay, right? But that would be part of the 11%. It's so interesting because as you think about it, the people were saying, well, maybe Jesus was John the Baptist, John the Baptist who had been killed, but with all the miraculous things that were happening, people were all of a sudden talking. If it was now, it would be on social media, people sharing it out, and text groups, things getting out there. This, we think John came back to life, and so that's who this Jesus is. Others would have said, wait a minute, no, 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 it's not John the Baptist. He was beheaded. He's gone. It's Elijah. Because we read in 2 Kings chapter 2 that Elijah was taken up to heaven. And therefore the belief was that from Malachi 3 and other Old Testament prophets is that Elijah would return and pave the way and set the way for the, the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And so it must be Elijah. That was the belief. Others said it must be one of the prophets. 
Because Moses himself had said that God would raise up a prophet like him eventually. So they're like, well, maybe it's one of the prophets. Maybe it's the prophet, the one that Moses had, had promised. Either way, you can see there was lots of talk and chatter about who Jesus was. And what's interesting is here we see in these descriptions, they put Jesus in good company. Right? These are respected leaders of God's people. But what is different, what we notice here is that we don't see anything super unique about Jesus here, that he could be one of the prophets. So Jesus then turns the question. He went from saying, who do people say I am, to who do you say I am? It's one thing to share about the opinions of others. So here's what others are saying. Here's what others are thinking. It's easy to repeat and parrot what others think and what others are saying. But when you have to answer the question yourself, then it takes another step. It takes a step of risk. It takes a step of self-disclosure. What do I really think? What do I really believe? Where do I stand on this? It's one thing to say, hey, this person thinks that and others think that, but what do, to actually say what I believe, it's a big risk. It takes a step of confession, a confession. And Jesus brings the disciples to that point. Now, there's lots of grace here. There's been eight chapters leading up to this. It wasn't like right away Jesus came and said, who do you say I am? Get it right right now. It's grace for them. It's grace for us. That we're all trying to figure this out. They were trying to figure it out. And at this point, after having all these different experiences, now he asks them, who do you say I am? Imagine if you were there with the disciples. Um, I'm sure they were all of a sudden quiet. Um, maybe in their mind's eye playing the movie of the last you know, months with Jesus and all that that had transpired. The teachings. The confrontations with the religious leaders. The miraculous healings. The words of truth. As we've read in Mark, his authority out of who he was, out of his very being, something was different about this guy. And they're all contemplating, thinking, and you can almost see them looking at one another like, who's gonna answer the question? Who's gonna go first? Well, if you've been around the church and you've been read scripture, you know who's gonna go first. It's Peter. Peter who always speaks his mind. Here he does, and he says, you are the Messiah. Messiah, which means in Hebrew, anointed, or the anointed one. In Greek, is Christ. He's saying, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you're the anointed one. In the Old Testament, those who were anointed were prophets, priests, and kings, and they were anointed for a specific task. Over the years, the, one of the, the anointed one of the Messiah was connected mostly with the kingly role. And so with a king who was ruler, he was the one who was expected, someone who would come, a king who would set things right, who would remove all the Romans and the Roman oppression and provide shalom or peace for God's people. And the belief and hope is that this would be done by force, militarily. Kick the Romans out. Let's be like King David. Let's get back to the good old days when we were in charge. That was the expectation. That was the hope. And so when Peter says, you are the Messiah, most likely that's where Peter, that's what he was assuming. That's what he was hoping for. Well, then Jesus says, don't tell. He warns them not to tell anyone about this. Why is that the case? Well, Jesus knows where Peter's coming from. He's like, we, he didn't want to start a messianic uprising in the way that those who wanted an uprising to be, he didn't want that to take place. He said, he warned them, don't tell anyone. We'll continue in the action, picking up in verse 31. Then we read this. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed 
and after three days, rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside to rebuke him. In right, verse 31, we read, Jesus began to teach them. Here, he's beginning to teach them something else. This is a new chapter. Now that this has been shared, now that this has been said, he's like, I need to teach you about the true meaning of Messiahship and what it means to be a Messiah. And he shared the first of three predictions about his suffering and death. We'll see three predictions in Mark's gospel. Here's the first one. And he says he's gonna, be, he's gonna suffer. He's gonna be rejected. And he's gonna be killed. Right? This was gonna be the action of the religious leaders, the Jewish Sanhedrin, the three groups that are listed there. The center of religious authority were gonna take Jesus out. And he spoke plainly to them, meaning clearly he wasn't speaking in parables. He wasn't telling, telling them something that they had to interpret. He was being as clear as day with them. And then there's Peter. We see that he, you almost picture his face like recoiling, like thinking, what? Like, come on, come on, man, this can't be the case. Like, Messiah losing? No, the the Messiah's not supposed to lose. The Messiah's not supposed to be rejected and killed. The Messiah's supposed to win. The Messiah's supposed to kick the Romans out. The Messiah's supposed to take us back to the golden days of David. Like, the Messiah should be about winning, not about losing. So Peter pulls Jesus aside. I love this picture. Come over here, Jesus. Come here. Jesus, come over here. Let me tell you how to get this done. Right? And he just puts his arm around Jesus and, 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 and rebukes him. So it's not actually Mr. Nice Guy. He actually rebukes him. The word rebuke is a strong word. It's the same word that was used when Jesus rebuked unclean or evil spirits, saying, get out of here, meaning this is against God. So actually, it's not Mr. Nice Guy. He's like, Jesus, we got to get honest here. I called Mark's gospel the Jersey gospel. I think Peter went Jersey on Jesus. <laughs> He's like, this is messed up. We love the teaching. We love the healings. Good stuff, Jesus. But you're wrong. The Messiah should be about winning, not losing. And he rebukes Jesus. Well, then what happens? Verse 33, Jesus responds. When Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. It's interesting, Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, and then he rebuked Peter. And and the same word, the same word that was used for Peter rebuking Jesus, Jesus returns the favor and goes goes jersey on Peter and rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan, meaning get out of here, out out of my way. Like, be gone, go away. Why? He says, Peter, you have a limited perspective. You only have the concerns of, hu- of, of human concerns. You don't have the concerns of God. In many ways, I believe Jesus was calling out Peter saying, Peter, you're projecting onto me what you want me to be. You want me to be this kind of Messiah. And he's saying, this is, you only have human's concerns. You're limited as a human being. This is your limited view. I think this is a warning to us that we too can project onto Jesus and onto God what we want him to be. We could say, okay, I, okay, you may reveal in Scripture in your word who you are, God, but okay, that's fine, but let me pull you aside over here, and let me, let me, let me tell you, God, how you should be. Like, that, God, can you clean this part of the, of the Bible up a little bit? It's a little messy. Like, you know, I'm not really sure about this whole conviction thing. I want to just feel nice. Can, can, we, can we talk? Right? I think it's a warning for us here, that, and, and it's serious business, because Jesus responds to Peter, he rebukes him, says, get behind me, Satan, meaning this is what the adversary who's standing against God it's like, this is not of God. 
This is based only on limited human perspectives. What does Jesus send to? Then he calls the crowd in verse 34, continuing the action. He says, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. Here we see Jesus calling the crowds. Like, okay, crowds, come in. And, this, and he expands the circle of listeners. I believe he used this also to kind of have a reset with the disciples. It was getting kind of tense with Peter and, and the disciples. He brings the crowd, and he's like, now he's going to teach them. And it provides his disciples another chance to hear him teach and, and kind of reset. And Jesus then taught them about the way of discipleship, the way of following him. A disciple is a learner, an apprentice, a follower of Jesus. And I believe he said, if you, want to, if you want to follow me, then you need to be willing to become like me. I think Jesus is saying, including the difficult aspects. And that's why this is difficult news. This is the breaking news of Jesus and it's difficult news and what he says. Because he says, whoever wants to be my disciples, don't lose track of that, whoever wants to be. He's like, you gotta want this. You gotta desire this. This takes an intentional decision. Do you want this? I believe Jesus is putting this out there. If you want this, here's what it's gonna take. Do you want it? Do you desire this? Are you willing to make the decision for this? He said, if you want this, you gotta take these steps. You gotta deny yourself. You gotta take up your cross and follow me. I mean, these are strong words too, to deny yourself. I mean, this involves self-denial. In our culture and world where it's more about self-indulgence more than self-denial, Jesus is saying if there's anything, anything that is against the ways of God and the, and the ways of Jesus, then we need to deny that part of ourselves and follow him. We also need to take up our cross. And we hear the word cross, we think jewelry, we think in our language, I'm bearing my cross. This would have been a symbol that was repugnant. This was connected with death and terror, and terror from the Roman Empire. Right? Those who were crucified, typically those who were in rebellion against the Roman Empire. Right? In 71 BC, a Roman general, Crassus, defeated the slave rebel Spartacus. And in this rebellion, he then took 6,000 people and crucified them on the Appian Way. 6,000. Sending a pretty clear signal to everyone. You mess with the Romans, you're going to end up on the cross. You're going to die. This wasn't a cute piece of jewelry or a nice statement. This was a picture of death. Death. And Jesus says you have to pick up your cross. You have to give up your life. This means the death of any part of you that is apart from God. It's a death to your ambitions, a death to your personal dreams, a death to anything that is outside of God. And that's in saying to God, you have control. I give up. I surrender to you. I'm yours. And to do this as you follow Jesus. Jesus, whoever wants to be my disciple, if you want this, do you want this? Do you desire this? This is what you want. This is what it's gonna take. Because this is what Jesus did. He lived a life of self-denial. He took up the cross. He said, if you want to follow me, you have to become like me. This is difficult news. To be a disciple is to be with him, to become like him. It involves transformation. So Jesus goes further into the meaning of disciples. He said, look, if you want to gain your life, if you're going to hold on to your life or try and save it, you're actually going to lose it. Again, it's upside down. Our thought is take control. Take control of life. Get everything set up. Make sure every variable is accounted for. Control, control, control. 
Jesus says, the more you control, actually the more you're losing your life. But if you want to gain your life, lose it. Surrender it to me. It doesn't seem to make sense, but those who've experienced it know what I'm talking about. When you give your life away, whether in service to others or to God himself, he does something, and you find life that you wouldn't find on your own. Jesus says, if you want to find life, be willing to give it up. So he finishes with some additional words, verses 36 through 38. He says, with some questions, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Verse 38, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. Jesus adds some additional statements and questions here. And again, he says, what's good if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Um, I think we know, maybe you know someone that this describes. They've seemed to succeed. They've, they've, they've climbed the ladder. They've done everything right. They've achieved. They have uh, all the possessions, all the trophies, all the accolades, but they just don't seem satisfied. This world hasn't delivered. And maybe th- there's a sense of disappointment and emptiness. Maybe you've seen someone like that. Maybe you're that person, and you've realized everything that was promised to me, straight A's, bachelor's degree, master's, Ph.D., Jobs, everything, nice lawn, nice house, but it just doesn't satisfy. There's something, there's an itch inside that still is not being scratched. What is it, God? Here, that's what Jesus is describing. What good is it to gain the whole world but to lose your soul? Jesus says, no, give away your life. Give it to me and watch the type of life I'm gonna give to you as you follow me. And then Jesus finishes with some hard words saying, if, look, if someone doesn't receive me or is ashamed of me, then when he comes back, he's gonna be ashamed of us if we're ashamed of his words. Words to wrestle with as we think about who Jesus is. So what does this mean for us today? The question I like to ask is how does Jesus come to us through this passage today? In essence, how does this news, this breaking news, break into our lives? I invite you to imagine walking with Jesus. Imagine walking with him. And then he starts asking the same questions. What do people say about me? If we had another pie graph, what would we put up there? If we went out and polled and you know, stood on the corner or walked in the village shopping center and started asking questions, who, who, who is Jesus? Who do, you, who do you think he is? You know, good teacher, maybe a prophet, a nice guy. Like, what would people say? There'd be lots of responses. Um, there might be even some more um, difficult responses based on how many are responding to Christians in our day and age. There'll be lots of responses to who is Jesus. And then Jesus would then ask, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? How would you respond? Would you respond like Peter? Perhaps say the, the right answer, the Messiah. Or even say, Lord, Savior, Son of God. But then as Jesus starts describing who he is and what it means to follow him, where will we, we be tempted to kind of pull him alongside? Like, Jesus, come over here. I need, we need to talk. I need to go jersey on you. That's okay, but you're getting it wrong. That's, that's not the type of God I want to follow. I want to follow a different God. I want a convenient God. Or if it's 21st century United States of America, I want a successful God, bigger, better, brighter. I want a winning God, not a losing God. I want a God that makes my life easy, not harder. In the, in the, the terms of parenting these days, like a helicopter parent, right? 
helicopter parent who circles over a child and tries to make everything better. I want helicopter God. Make everything easy for me. Or maybe a lawnmower God, like lawnmower parent who mows the way and there's no challenges at all. Maybe I want safety. Maybe I don't want pain. Maybe I don't want anything. I just want everything to be nice. Jesus would say, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself. You have to give up your life and follow me. Not easy words, but he says, if you give up your life, you're going to find true life. Life that you wouldn't find when you try to take control of everything or account for every variable or make everything or strive endlessly for goals that once you get there, you realize, was it really worth it? Jesus, like, if you want true life, you want life that's satisfied, you want living water, come to me. Come to me. So the question is, how, I've asked the question this week, how would Jesus rebuke me when I answer that question? Because I, too, would want to pull him aside and be like, look, I'm a pastor. I've studied this stuff. Let me tell you how this is done, right? So, but I could justify my own life way too easily. God, shine the light on me. Rebuke me. How would he rebuke you? But he would do, remember, he would do it with grace and love, and he would do it also with truth. How would he rebuke you? Because Jesus calls us to personally follow him, personally follow him. And James Edwards, in his, in his commentary on the gospel according to Mark, says, when believers confess who Jesus is, they also and inevitably confess what they must become. Right, so it's a matter of saying who we believe he is based on his word, it shows what we must become. And Jesus is the one who showed us the way of sacrifice and suffering for the sake of others. He did it by love and compassion. And that's the type of followers he wants. He wants to make us to be those who are willing to sacrifice and even suffer for the sake of others. In many ways, that makes this world a better place. That's the type of God he is. That's the God he, who he is and that's who's revealed and that's who Jesus wants us to be. Jesus calls us to follow him personally on the way, on the way. Again, notice, he asked his questions on the way. It wasn't at the very end of the gospel. Now, okay, after the resurrection and all this stuff has happened, who do you say I am? That's easy. There's a lot of grace here. The disciples were confused. Peter thought he got it right, and then Jesus rebuked him and said, get behind me, Satan. There's a lot of grace for all of us. We're all trying to figure this out. And so no matter where we're coming from today, and we answer that question, God's gonna meet us there, but he's not gonna leave us there. He's gonna move us forward. But he just wants us to be honest. He wants us to be honest. So you get that question. So as you remember anything from the sermon, remember this. Jesus invites us to follow him on the way of discipleship in order to become like him. Remember that. And what's the one thing to do? Answer the question. Answer Jesus' question. Who do you say I am? And commit to taking your next step of discipleship. What I mean by that is uh, answer that question. Take a moment this week. Find a quiet place, a quiet moment, a couple minutes. Maybe a blank piece of paper if you're a journaler or if you have a journal, take out your journal and write the question, who do you say I am? And answer that question honestly. The answer could be, I don't know. I don't know. That's okay. Perhaps you're here, you're curious, you're joining us online, you're trying to figure out this whole Christianity, church, and Jesus thing, and you're like, I don't know. That's honest. Answer it that way. Maybe it's, I once knew, and I once believed in you, Jesus, but I've gotten distracted, lost. Life has gone on, and I want to find my way back. Maybe for others, you are struggling. Like, Jesus, I think I have an answer for you, but I'm really struggling in life right now, and it's, those struggles are getting in the way. Maybe for others, you have a strong faith in God, and you're tracking closely, and you're saying, I'm answering this. Take it to the next level, God. Take me to the next level. Wherever you are, God will meet you 
and the answer to that question. Just be honest with him. See what he does and seek to receive from him the invite to find true life in following him as we give up our lives along the way. As a church, we want to help you do that. No matter where you are in your faith journey, if you are in that I don't know, I'm so glad you're here. If you're in the I don't want to know, but someone forced me to be here, I'm glad you're here too. Or maybe you're in that place where I believe and I want to take it to the next level. We want to help you too. As a church, we want to help you discover and embrace this life-transforming hope that's found in Christ. No matter where you are, to help you take that next step. That's why we gather on Sunday mornings. That's why we have groups and classes. That's why we serve so we can give our lives away like Christ. This is why we have special offerings like this Easter offering and ongoing offering so we can become generous people. We want to become more like Christ as we walk with him. So as a church, we're here to help you, to serve you. I'm here to help you and serve you as a pastor to help you take that next step. Let's pray towards that end. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we've considered this news today, which can be difficult news that Jesus initially gave to his disciples, especially to Peter, as Peter responded to that question and then brought you aside, Jesus, and rebuked you. Thank you, Jesus, that you loved him enough to rebuke him back. And in doing so, Lord, you changed his life. And because of him and many others, Lord, you changed this world. And so, God, I ask that you would help us to answer that question. Jesus, as we consider what others are saying about you, then you ask the question to us, who do you say I am? I pray that maybe today, sometime this week, no doubt, help us to be honest with you. Whatever the answer is to that question. And to know that you're there, that you're listening, that you're inviting us either onto this journey or back onto this journey or to continue on this journey with you. God, thank you that you love us. And you love us enough to give us difficult news. So help us to see you and know you based on who you are, not who we want you to be. And God, help us as we give away our lives to believe and to trust and to experience that we can receive true life as we do that. Help us to follow you. We pray this in your powerful and your wonderful name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.